Good singing. Open your Bible, please, tonight, if you would, to Revelation. Now, perhaps you brought your outline with you. Your outline will help act as like a guide for the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter. And uh, if you remember, from chapter 6 to chapter 19, all deals with that uh, seven years. And it's not all in chronological order. There are uh, two or three times where the bus is pulled over and parked and the uh, tour guide explains things to us. And that's all very uh, typical of um, Old Testament type commentary on things. That's how it was done. And in chapter six, we have uh, the Lord Jesus, the lamb, opening the seven seal book. Six of the seals, six of the seven seals are opened. And um, we, uh, we have some amazing things happening. Um, the whole seven years are seven years of God's wrath, not the devil's wrath, but the Lord's wrath on earth. And it starts gentle and small and gets progressively worse and worse until you get to the end. And it is absolutely gut-wrenching. And the Earth's population has been reduced severely from billions down to uh, hundreds of millions. Death is um, the order of the day. We come to uh, chapter 7. We dealt with the uh, um, 144,000 and also the great company of witnesses um, that we saw here in that chapter. Now, chapters 8 and 9 deal with the um, uh, the seventh seal of the seven seal book and they deal with the seven trumpets and six of those trumpets are given here and they are definitely attention getting devices uh, a trumpet gets your attention or it's supposed to and armies of the world still use them and so um we, uh, we have the scene set before us. We're in chapter 8. And uh, there, is, there is way too much material to do chapter 8 and 9 together. I've been looking it over, looking it over. And if, I, if I race through chapter 8 and 9, you won't, you won't get the real benefit from it. Now, and that chapter 8, we could take many weeks and deal just with chapter eight, but we're not going to do that. I think week will be sufficient, but um, we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll get into this chapter. There's only 13 verses and we'll go through it verse at a time. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer. Our heavenly father, once more, we ask that you would use the book of revelation to increase our faith and our love our respect, our fear of God, our obedience. Please uh, increase the opportunities to live for you and serve you. Uh, we know that uh, this, this is a very serious business. Um, Father, help us please to be everything we can be while in the time we have left. And we don't know how much time, it may be little. So help us to be just as serious about our lives for you, as is the book of Revelation is serious. Speak to our hearts tonight, please. 
In Jesus' name, amen. It seems to me over the last few years, not too many years, but few years, that we've witnessed firsthand events that picture what is coming upon the earth in the tribulation. Uh, I'll name a few. Terrorism and war have caused uneasiness and panic. It has certainly uh, changed world travel. Uh, Earthquakes uh, and um, tsunamis and uh, tidal waves. Tornadoes have torn apart parts of the world. Um, Boy, Hurricane Katrina comes to mind and the devastation of that in New Orleans. Heat waves have been uh, on the up and up and they've killed a lot of people around the world. Even down in California, there's been a lot of people die of heat waves. Disease is the current topic, the coronavirus. Uh, The World Health Organization is hedging a little bit whether they should call it a pandemic. The difference between an epidemic and a pandemic, an epidemic is more or less more local. It could be like in a a nation, one nation. A pandemic is when it spans all of these nations. And so, I don't know, as I look at the map and I look at the areas that are affected by coronavirus, to me, it looks like a pandemic. And it's not getting any better, getting worse. And they're saying now in the United States, it's not a matter if, it's when. It will affect the entire country. The stock market took a huge tumble. I don't know if you saw that on the news. Now it's tried to rebound. It always tries to rebound, but look at what this miserable disease is doing. And it's, uh, it's popping up in places that has nothing to do with people that have traveled to Wuhan, China. So it's just one more thing that's happening. Um, the livestock as well, chickens, uh, turkeys, cows, mad cow disease. You remember that? Mm, boy, and the worldwide effect this thing has. It seems to me even the mosquitoes are part and parcel have gotten in on the act as well. And they're transmitting more diseases and things like that. But I, I'm just saying that what we're seeing here, it's the, uh, the prelude. The orchestra is warming up. The curtain is about to open. And the world is about to begin the seven-year tribulation. And what a play. What a performance it's going to be. And right now we've got front row seats as to what's happening in the world. And they're preparing, preparing, preparing people. Um, however, remember that in comparison to, to what will be coming on the earth in the tribulation, what we're seeing are just the hiccups right now. These are the little things. The, uh, the big things are yet coming. And so um, what we've got now compared to the tribulation is a walk in the park. And already it's a scary walk, isn't it? Well, verse one, chapter eight, verse one. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. So here's the seventh seal. And um, if you remember, we've had six previous seals and the first five seem to have a very human element to it. Number six, the sixth seal there, it's back in chapter six and verse uh, 12 
Uh, that seems to be uh, God alone. If you look at it, lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood. Now sackcloth today is usually made of like a burlap or a, a jute or something like that. But back in Bible days, sackcloth was often made of uh, long hair from animals, goats and horses and woven woven together into sacks, sack cloth. So that's why it says black as sackcloth of hair. That's, that's what that means. We, um, we have now the, uh, the seventh seal and uh, number seven seems to encompass all the judgments of God upon earth. The seventh seal is, uh, is horrendous. Um, we have the seals which lead to the trumpets, which lead to the vials, as we'll see. But in verse one, it says that there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Something I just want to point out that's interesting. And that is that oftentimes we talk about going to heaven and time is no more. Well, I'm not too sure about that because here the tribulation is not over yet. And yet time is being measured similar to how we would measure time. So isn't that an interesting thought? So it says here, there's about a half hour silence. And, and some people say, why is that? I know that people have made jokes about that. Uh, but I think it's a serious business because um, you see up till now in heaven, there's been uh, shouts of joy and victory. There's been a lot of praise and worship of God almighty. But here's a suggestion I have for you as to why there was a half hour Silence. Back in Job chapter 2, verse 13, we read that uh, Job's miserable comforters, they came and they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, that actually happened with Job. And their customs were a little different back then, but they did come and they sat there with him seven days. With Job, the seriousness of his situation called for silence. That's what I want to point out. If you've ever read the book of Job, you know that that poor guy really went through the, the ringer. He really went through the meat grinder of life. And God allowed him to go through it. And it was such an incredible, horrible experience that he went through. He just lost everything here that his situation called for silence in sorrow or in loss. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse seven tells us there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Now this silence in heaven suggests to me, anyhow, the gravity or the seriousness about what is about to happen. That's why I think there's a half hour silence. Because of what is about to happen. It's almost as if the flag in heaven is being lowered to half mast for what is about to come. It's like an eerie silence of people on a beach watching a coming tidal wave just before they decide to turn and run. The seventh seal unleashes billows of divine wrath upon the world. And everyone in heaven seems struck dumb with speechless awe. We can assume that during this half hour of silence in heaven, there is also relative calm on the earth. Perhaps 
men on the earth like Pharaoh of old is thinking that those things of the first six seals that they experienced really weren't so bad and maybe we'll survive this after all. So we come to verse two. And I saw the seven angels, which stood before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Now God uses angels for different purposes and jobs. For example, he used Gabriel to make an announcement to Mary. And here God uses seven specific angels to signal forth the coming of seven judgments. So if you can picture this now, the seven sealed book, one, two, three, four, five, six are opened. The seventh seal opens up the seven trumpets. So this seventh seal, now seven angels come forth, each given a special trumpet. Trumpets make a loud, clear, ringing blast that everyone can hear. Trumpets were often used in the Old Testament to call people to worship, to summon people to war, and to sound an alarm. In this case, it almost seems like a reference to a war, almost the war of God upon the wicked, a wicked Christ rejecting world, you know, wake up, wake up. So we come to verse three and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers. Notice that offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Very interesting. God now chooses another angel has a special job for him. And he was to come and to stand at this, this uh, golden altar. Now, perhaps this angel has the full-time job of collecting together and guarding all of the prayers of the saints, because he's told here, he's given a golden censer and he's to, to offer it with the prayers of all of the saints. And possibly maybe part of his job is to guard over the prayers. And so uh, this angel has been given a golden censer. A censer was simply a, a pot, a small pot or a vessel of sorts, often made of brass uh, in which to burn incense. Incense was a substance that when burned, it produced a sweet fragrant odor. It was originally made from things like raw wood, chopped up herbs, different pastes, powders, perhaps also liquids and oils. People in biblical times regularly used incense in parts of the world. It's still used constantly. They use it to help um, make the air in a room smell nice. Incense has the ability to mask some of the more disagreeable odors that float through the air. Incense also can have a calming effect on people. The Bible gives in Exodus chapter 30, the recipe for the incense that the priests were to use at the uh, tabernacle. We won't look at that, but that's interesting. You can look at that later in Exodus 30. Now the uh, angel is standing here at an altar and we've seen this altar before. If you look back at chapter six and verse nine, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony, which they held. 
And so this altar we've seen before under it were the Christians that were martyred for their faith. Maybe their heads were lopped off or they were shot or something, but they were martyred. Now, in verse 5 here, if you just look ahead, you'll see that the, uh, the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar. And so um, the fire is important. You have to have the fire with the incense in order to produce the, um, the aroma and so on. But the fire is important because it must be God's fire in this case be God's fire, not man's fire. If you remember a story, an interesting story back in Leviticus chapter 10, um, Nadab and Abihu or Abihu, these were the sons of Aaron. They, they took their censers and they put uh, fire in there and put incense in there. And it says they offered strange fire before the Lord. Do you remember that? And they got in trouble. So much so that God hadn't commanded them to do what they did. They took strange fire and they offered it before the Lord and they paid for it with their lives. Both those young men, Nadab and Abihu did something without God's permission. They used strange fire. They didn't use the proper fire. God specified that for the incense, the fire was to come from off the altar. And so God ended up killing them. Now the incense is given to the angel and he offers it along with the prayers of all of the saints. Now all of the saints could refer to the old Testament saints as well as the new Testament saints. But this leads us to believe something very important here tonight. And that is God keeps our prayers in heaven. You might not think much of your prayers, but God does. If your prayers are proper prayers, not crazy, sinful prayers, or if they're proper prayers, God hangs on to them. And I think probably one of the best analogies we have is um, a mother who hangs on to the artwork of her little boy or her little girl. And maybe they come home from school or maybe they've done this in the home and they've taken paper and crayons and Maybe they've added sparkles or something like this, and they've worked on this artwork. And this is their masterpiece, right? And maybe it's a, a Mother's Day or Father's Day card or something, and they're so proud of it. Now, you, you look at it from an adult perspective, and you know that you, you couldn't sell that out on the market. No one on eBay would, would buy that. You know that it has no commercial value but it has tremendous sentimental value to you because your mom or your dad. And so you take that priceless piece of artwork and you go to the, one of the most important rooms in your home, the kitchen, and you stand in front of the, one of the most important pieces of equipment in your kitchen, the refrigerator and lovingly with magnets or scotch tape, you, fasten this beautiful piece of artwork to the refrigerator. And there it is for month after month to be admired and looked upon and appreciated. And this is a reflection of what God does with our prayers. He keeps our prayers up in heaven. Imagine if every prayer you made to God was written on a piece of paper and you gave it to God and he took it. 
and he's keeping these stacks and stacks of them. God, what do you want to keep those for? Because I like them, says God. To me, they're precious. And notice that he combines them with the incense. And the incense makes this wonderful aroma. And so the angel is instructed to offer with the fire off the altar, the incense of God and the prayers of God's people. Now, I don't claim to understand all of the whys and wherefores and the reasons why God does this, but I just know that it's important. I don't think that prayer goes unanswered. Now, I'm talking about proper prayer. I don't think it goes unanswered. If we're asking wild, wicked, sinful things, well, don't, don't count on an answer. But if it's proper prayer, I don't think that it goes unanswered. I think that God saves and keeps the prayers and at the right time he answers them. We'll find out, however, when we get to heaven, but it seems that prayer is like a sweet smelling aroma for God. You know, Jesus told us in Luke 18, one men ought always to pray and not to faint. Can I ask you, have you prayed today or have you fainted? Did you spend time with God and in prayer or did you faint today? Now, if you fainted, well, that's too bad, but don't let it happen tomorrow. Make sure that you make the time. The devil's going to fight you for it. The devil's going to say, oh, no, you're too tired in the morning. You can't do it. Well, you do whatever you have to do to wake yourself up. But you spend some time with God. You start investing. You start investing. Boy, that's going to pay off in big dividends. I wonder how many prayers we really make in a day, in a month, in a year. How many prayers do we really make? Is it enough to, to add to the incense and burn on the altar? And so I say, keep praying every day, throughout the day, many times a day. Prayers are needed in heaven, apparently, as much as they're needed here on earth. Never neglect your prayer ministry. Verse four, and the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So the incense and the prayer we're told here, ascend up together before almighty God. And it indicates to us the sense of the holiness of it. The incense would be a holy item used. And so are the prayers. There's a wonderful sense of holiness and worship. The incense and the devastating judgments about to happen may be telling us that even though the judgments are so severe, they're still done in the righteousness of God's holiness. Because what you're about to see, it ought to curl your hair. Maybe some of you want curly hair. Verse five, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar. You know, people pay a lot of money to get their hair curled. Isn't that right? Here you've come tonight. You're going to get it for free. And so the angel, I shouldn't be kidding you here. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And this is very important. This verse here, the angel takes fire from off the altar, casts all this into the earth. And now you have lightnings, thunderings, 
uh, and voices. And by the way, these seem to be a formula. This formula of lightnings, thunderings, and voices keeps popping up in the book of Revelation. And it has to do with almighty God. And it's around something to do with God. We uh, can look back at chapter four and look at verse five. It says, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Look ahead to chapter 11 and verse 19. It says, and the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple, the Ark of the Testament. Boy, you don't see that every day. And there were, here it comes, lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Look at chapter 16 and verse number 18, 16, 18. And let's see here. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake. Boy, that's going to be a real big one when we get to that. That is scary, that one. Are there earthquakes in heaven? No, there's no earth in heaven. So there's no earthquakes in heaven. So the earthquakes must be on earth. And if the earthquake is on earth, then the lightnings and the voices and the thunderings spoken here would be on earth as well. Now, since the earthquake was on earth, was it felt only in one place on the earth? Because it says here in chapter eight and verse five, that there was an earthquake. And so was this felt only in one place? And we can't know for sure, but I'm suggesting probably not. I think the earthquake was felt around the world. Why? Because God is speaking to the whole world. That's why I think the earthquake was felt around the world. We are into the real bonk on the head, final warnings of God, because what's about to come is ghastly. And so I think that the earthquake was probably felt around the world. What about the lightnings and voices and thunderings? Well, likewise, it stands to reason that they would have been heard around the world as well. Verse number six, and the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Isn't that interesting that it says they prepared themselves to sound. Now I imagine that what they did was they raised the trumpet and they took a big deep breath of air. I imagine because I think that's how people usually prepare themselves to sound, but they were sounding out a warning to the whole world. You know what? We're sounding out the gospel to the world, aren't we? To here in Surrey and through our missionaries around the world. And by the way, Brother Ramos is with us tonight. Our missionary to Paraguay. Tonight he's a missionary to Surrey. And so he'll be with us for a few days. But our job as Christians is to sound out the gospel around the world. Well, to do that, we need to prepare we need to prepare ourselves. The angels were about to sound a warning to the whole world and they had to prepare. They had to prepare themselves. How do we prepare ourselves to sound out the gospel to the whole world? Well, one way is Soul Winners Academy. We've got the training coming up in just a few weeks. I believe at the beginning of April, our six week course begins. I'm happy to report to you 
that there's increasing number of pastors with an interest in starting their own soul winners Academy because they can see the benefits of it. That's exciting folks. God is using us to be a blessing to the Baptist brethren. Amen. And so here we have the seven angels preparing to sound. Each one is about to sound a solemn warning of judgment and man's need to repent. And so we get into verse seven, the first angel sounded. Now, what I like to do in my Bible, when I come upon these things is in the margin, I like to put like a little number one. And then when the second, when I come upon the second, he's in verse eight, I put a little number two, you see? So that way, when you go back and you reread the book of revelation, it's helping you. It speaks to you. The page speaks to you. You see, I've, I've got these things for the, uh, uh, the seven seal book. Um, when, when the Lord Jesus opens the first seal in chapter six, verse one, the, the second seal, chapter six, verse three, I've got a little one, a little two, a little three and so on. And that, that helps as I go back and I, and I look at it. And so in verse seven, the first angel sounded, here's what happened. And there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of trees was burned up and all green grass was burned up. So this first angel blows his trumpet in heaven and something happens all over the earth. Hail and fire mingled with blood and it's cast all over the earth. You know, this hail and fire business, it sounds a little like Sodom and Gomorrah. When they got rained on with sulfur and fire and brimstone, the fire seems to be possibly from the golden altar in heaven. But it says here, a third of all the trees are burned up. Imagine that a third, the third part of the trees, a third part of all the, the trees all over the world are burned up and all of the grass, 100% of the grass is burned up. Now you might not think that that's too bad. That's too severe. You might think, well, that, that's not very pleasant, but I mean, we can, we can easily live with that. Can we really? Because trees provide us not only with fruit, but with shade and they help the planet from getting too hot. People who have their houses in around big trees all tell us the same thing that their house stays cooler during the summer months. Trees help cool the planet. Trees help hold the topsoil together. Trees help release oxygen into the air. Without trees, we end up with drought and water loss and nutrient loss and many other problems. Forest fires are a terrible problem right now. Just ask our, our friends in Australia the loss of one third of all earth's trees will be a terrible blow to all the inhabitants of the earth. But then the grass grass is a major source of food for beef cattle, dairy cattle, sheep, goats without grass. Most of the cows, sheep and goats will soon die. And what's that going to cause? Every golf course in the world is going to go out of business. 
Every beautiful front lawn is going to look like a piece of burned toast. Imagine a world where the grass is all burned up. We come to verse eight and we have the second angel. So it says in verse eight, the second angel sounded and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea and the third part of the sea became blood. And so this second angel blows his trumpet in heaven and something happens all over the earth. And what, what looks like a great mountain burning with fire is cast into the sea. And one third of all the sea becomes blood. They say, where did this mountain come from? Well, I don't believe it is a mountain because the Bible says, as it were a mountain, it doesn't say it was a mountain. It says it was like a mountain. And so it's a mountain shaped object, very big, very huge, burning with fire. I wonder what that could be. Possibly a meteor. I saw a news clipping that on June 9th, 2006, now I know that's 14 years ago, but in Oslo, Norway, a large meteorite struck in Northern Norway, landing with an impact that an astronomer compared to the atomic bomb used in Hiroshima. But I have a little YouTube clip here. I want to show you. Are, are we ready with that? Is the volume up? Okay. Now there's no, there's no commentary in this, but there's a kind of a, a, a war drum sound of drum war drum. You'll see. And what you're going to see now these are known meteors known to astronomers. They've found these and they have identified them and they put names on them and they'll tell you how big they are. And you're in relation to men and vehicles and buildings. You're going to see here's how big can a meteor get? Well, you're about to see. And so it's about two minutes long. And so sit back and enjoy this. Okay. Are we ready? All right. Let's watch this. All right. You're looking at the size of them, like 30 meters, and uh, in 2004, FFH, that was the name of it. Apophis, 370 meters. Look at the size of it in relation to the Eiffel Tower. Look at some of these things. There's Hermes, 810 meters in diameter. This is New York City you're looking at. That's a big rock. Looks sort of like a mountain. Bigger one, Castalia, 1.4 kilometers. Oh, and there's this big brother, 2.36 kilometers, Albert. Albert. 5.8 kilometers, Phaethon. Anything bigger than that? Oh, apparently. These are known meteorites. 
Eros, 16.84 kilometers in diameter. They get bigger. Look at the landmass. What happened in New York? You can hardly see it. 31, 33 kilometers. Can't even pronounce that guy's name. See if you can pronounce the names. 119 kilometers, 145 kilometer diameter. Look at this guy, 214 kilometer diameter, 286 kilometer diameter. Look at the size of the rock. Now, if that isn't like a mountain, Europa, I can pronounce that one, 315. Hygia, 434, 512 kilometers, man. 525, and we're not done yet. Oh, I guess we are done yet. <laughs> Did you see the size of that last one? Now, with that thing burning hot, dropped into the ocean, can you understand why? It would have worldwide effects, wouldn't it? Right? If a rock that size hit your house, you'd feel it for a nanosecond. <laughs> then you wouldn't feel anything after that, nothing. <laughs> but you get the idea? So here we have what appears to be a mountain burning and it falls into the oceans. And uh, the, the effects are incredible. Look at verse 9. It says, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. So a third of all marine life dies, burned and perhaps poisoned by this mountain of fire. A third of all ships in the sea are destroyed. That includes smaller yachts, fishing boats, oil tankers, cruise ships. I saw one statistic where there's 130,000 ships registered to 195 countries. Now, I'm sure there's a whole lot more ships than that. These are just the ones registered. And so a third of that uh, would be about 43,000 ships would be destroyed. Imagine all the life gone. By the way, let's not forget. When you throw a rock into a pond, it makes ripples, doesn't it? So when this thing hits the oceans, can you imagine the tidal waves that are going to sweep over some of the nations? Verse 10. And the third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of rivers and upon the fountains of water. And so the third angel now blows his trumpet in heaven and something happens all over the earth. A great star from heaven. Now, as I understand, stars are made up of, of plasma and gas and they're always burning and they're always on fire. Entering into earth's atmosphere, it appears to fragment and the gaseous particles are landing on a third part of the freshwater rivers and fountains of the earth. Now you might say, well, mm, okay, so what? Well, look at verse 11. 
And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now, if I understand the Bible right, God has given names to every one of his stars. God has a name for every star. This one is called Wormwood. You say, how do you know that God gives names? Psalm 147.4 says, he, it's a reference to God. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. So yes, I believe God has given names to all of the stars. And this one (laughs) has got a delightful name, Wormwood. Wormwood, I looked it up, is a dark green bitter oil. It comes from a certain plant and it's known for its bitter taste. It can make people sick and will even kill them. And here we're told in verse 11 that many men died because of the gas from this star has polluted a third of all the drinking water. Now we come to verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded and the third part of the sun was smitten and the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened and the day shone not for a third part of it and the night likewise. And so this fourth angel rears back and blows on his trumpet in heaven and something devastating happens all over the earth a third piece of the sun, a third piece of the moon, and a third piece of every star is darkened or blackened out somehow. So as they only shine for two thirds of the time. Now, some of you will remember the Gulf war back in the early nineties with Saddam Hussein. He was affectionately known as Saddam insane. And during that war, Saddam Hussein set on fire Kuwait's oil fields. And when he did that, it was something like 623 out of the 725 oil fields or something like that. A horrendous amount. The smoke that ascended was so black, was so dense that it actually blocked out the light of the sun in that area. And it looked like nighttime. When this fourth angel blows his trumpet, what is that going to do for all of the people who believe in astrology and try to get their predictions when one third of their stars are missing? It's, it's going to be bad for round figure sake. Let's suppose we have 16 hours of daylight out of, out of 24. We got eight hours of darkness just for round figure sake. By blackening out one third of the sun, it means we'll have one third less daylight. Instead of 16 hours, we'll have 11 hours. How will that affect the temperatures on the planet? How will that affect the farmer's crops? How will that affect the need for more energy on the earth? What will happen to all of the satellites that are up there spinning and revolving around the earth. Will they still even be working by this point? Well, I know that in the middle of the tribulation, 
the two witnesses are killed and the whole world sees it. And the only way that that's really possible is by images transmitted by satellite. And right now images can be transmitted anywhere from the world. And we see them in real time. We see what's happening. And so my guess is that by the midpoint, the, at least the satellites would still be orbiting. But by the time we get to the, near the end, I don't know. I really don't know. Verse 13, John sees something and I beheld and, and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Here's why by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. And so John here sees another angel flying through heaven with a very serious announcement. And it's like this folks, you haven't seen anything yet. If you thought that was bad, stick around. You are about to see something that will, you'll, you'll have a heart attack. It is, it is so bad. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's three thrice. Whoa. Just as God is holy, holy, holy. This is whoa, whoa, whoa. A woe is a warning of pain and sorrow. And it's coming. Why all the woe? Because of the three judgments that are about to fall on the earth. Now, four of the trumpets have sounded and the earth is literally reeling from the onslaught of these, these things. But now, if you can believe it, the judgments turn incredibly supernatural and are directed at men on the earth. Folks, this is about to get extremely personal. That's going to be next week. Here's my thought. It's high time that we Christians, we believers, we get very serious about the rest of the life we have left on this planet. Now we all have different thoughts and ideas. Some of us think we're going to have 50 more years. Some of us think we're going to have 50 more days. You know, we're all different. We have different ideas as to how much time we have left. And we might, we might have that much time. We might have much more. We might have much less. We don't know. But I think it's time that you and I get very serious, very personal. What can we do? What can you and I do to serve God to the best of our ability for whatever time we have left? Because folks, when, when Jesus comes in the clouds and that trumpet is sounded and we're caught up, it's game over. We're not going to have any more time. We won't be able to say, oh, Lord, give me just one more day. I want to go back to earth and, and I want to witness to No, the time is over. So what can we do? Well, we've got Soul Winners Academy. We can be part of that. That's going to start up in April. And if we're still here on the planet, let's get involved with Soul Winners Academy. Let's train. Let's prepare ourselves to be able to sound out the gospel better. There's our, our missions conference coming up in the fall and faith promise missions. That's coming. And if we're still here on the planet, Let's get heartily involved. If we make a promise to God, let's keep it. 
Of course, Sacrifice Sunday's coming up. And we'll use that to do even more work for God. That's coming up in one month, March 29th. Those are just some things we can do. Let's not neglect the prayer closet. Let's let our light shine every day. And then when Jesus comes and takes us home, we'll be happy as can be, knowing that we've done everything we could. The last thing we want to be told is too little, too late. Sadly, a lot of companies have gone out of business because they acted too late. The old adage, too little, too late. Then it was time over, game over, time up, and they were out of business. Let's not let that happen to us as believers. Let's do all we can. Amen? Let's pray.